So before entering into the text of the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, as we have already uh, mentioned in the last class, that this class we will start with the meaning of this mantra. It's from the Bhagavatam, which we just now chanted. What's the meaning? Because as this is the mantra which we will be chanting before every class, Whenever we have the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, we will be chanting. We will be starting the class with the chanting of this mantra. So it will be good to know the meaning of it so that you can relate to the, the mantra which is being chanted uh, before the every class of the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. So what's this? Uh, it's from the Gopi Gita. It's in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So what this sloka means Tava katha amritam tapta jivanam katha amrita the nectar of thy words katha is the words amrita is the nectar so the nectar of thy words tapta jivanam so it revives the scorched spirit of the human being so in this life we find that we are as if being scorched that with all our motivation to enjoy the life. We dive deep into it. And after some time, we find that there is no way out. Like a bee, we came to test the honey and our wings got stuck in the honey. And the life starts scorching us. We find there is no way out as if from this quagmire called this worldly existence. So Kathamrita, we find, the words of the divine, the words of the Lord, when he comes and incarnates his life, his teachings, as if revives the Scott spirit of the human beings. So that's what is being indicated by the first line. Tava katham ritam, tapta jivanam, kavi bhiri ritam, kalmasha apaham, kalmasha apaham. So kalmasha apaham, it means that it purifies even the, all the sins, all our misdeeds. It purifies us. That we as if got tainted by all our uh, worldliness. This, the words of the gospel purifies the soul. Helps us to get rid of all the tents which we have accumulated in the past births. So that's the meaning of the word kalmasha apaham. apaham. And before that, the word is Kabi Bhiriritam. So these words are as if the life of the holy person. It's the lifeline. Without that, they cannot stay. 
there just the way we need food for our existence we need air to breathe without air without water without food the way we cannot just the way we cannot thrive we cannot survive in the same way these are the words which we find that the holy men without which they cannot live that has become something essential for them as swami vivekananda used to say that religion is the basic necessity of human being it's just like water here without that we cannot live if you go through the human civilization you will find in some way or other we humans somehow prone to adhere to some form of beliefs so it may be varied but some form of belief we always adhere to sometime in our attempt to get rid of all the beliefs we create another belief uh, i shouldn't criticize it is not a criticism very interesting you know in the uh, encyclopedia of religion the communism has been considered communism has been considered as a religion very interesting the one who tried to decry the religion by saying that religion is the opium of the masses but at last we find that it itself has entered into the book of the encyclopedia of religion as as if a religion because it has its own belief it has its own structure it has its own rituals so it's what what we are indicating is that man cannot stay with without that there's some form of religion some form of belief it's almost impossible so this religion has to be there so and for the holy person it becomes almost a lifeline they cannot think of existing without the this gospels in some form or other so this kavi bhiriritam kalma shapaham sravana mangalam just to hear it itself is auspicious sravana mangalam mangalam means auspicious just hearing it is auspicious and srimad atatam srimad atatam means to this it brings peace atatam is srimad atatam it brings just by hearing it brings peace in our life all the so called anguish worries everything goes off it brings peace in our life the last line speaks a very interesting thing bhuvi grinanti ye bhuri dajana those who just what you say this deliver this give spread the name of the lord his life his teachings they are the greatest givers so very nice that we generally have the idea that to give something physical like the one who is hungry who is about to die out of hunger to give food is one of the greatest give gift to give knowledge is the greatest gift but here they are saying the spiritual gift is the greatest when you feed someone his need is just temporarily met next day again he will be hungry but if i give him education if i teach him cultivation if i teach him agriculture yes that education will help him to develop the skills to get rid of the hunger as if forever but there is some existential crisis which we all face once our physical needs are met we all feel that the hunger for something which cannot be fulfilled just by the material needs so that's the hunger 
when we search for the meaning of life we as a human being cannot be satisfied without finding the purpose of life in some way or other we have to ask the question everything is going on well suddenly our near someone our near and dear one dies and we have to halt and stop and say what's after all the life's meaning is there is not a single person who won't be becoming a bit reflective at such moments however uh, hard atheist he may be he may declare him to be an atheist but that's brings that speculation in such moments of life when everything is going well suddenly we are in some crisis we lose our near and dear one then what's the life meant for the big question comes so all these uh, the questions when it comes the answer is of course there those who brings this nourishment in the form of the spiritual knowledge they are the greatest givers of mankind humankind so that's what the meaning of the mantra is so now just to uh, it may appear to be poetic but it actually is speaking something which is extremely rational that we will try to understand with the help of this mantra extremely rational that tapta jeevanam let us start with that that we are as if scorched in this life we have discussed the same ideas in some other context let us try to relate with it so that the idea of the mantra becomes very clear in our life as long as we are living in this sensate world the five senses is our world and sometimes we say there is nothing behind it i need not uh go on venturing for something beyond the sense of presence of life this is the be all and end all of my existence most probably i have sufficient skills i have education i am flourishing in life everything is going on well well and good but know it for certain in this life we all today or tomorrow have to go through some traumatic experience as we say again and again that everything was going on smooth you were on an adventurous journey and suddenly you see you are on the edge of a precipice you cannot just move one step ahead you are as if blocked by a huge wall you cannot just move forward and there is no way out there are various ways we feel it if i just ask the life story you all have the story i know as we grow old we all will have we have to relate in some way or other we face those inescapable trauma in our life it may be from very our near and dear ones the one whom i thought my life partner with whom i started my life thinking him or her to be my this be all and end all of my existence i find that at each and every step i have to compromise that there is so much disparity between the two soul and the life has as if came to an halt all the dreams all the uh, this the so the imaginations which you had they seem to be now just like uh, this a palace in the sky it's just in this in our scripture they say akasha kushumavat this alika kalpana these are all alika the world advertises a lot gives almost nothing and we were all lured by those advertisement 
and we are all come to that inescapable trauma and from that this tapta jivanam this scorch why this scorch that inescapable trauma makes us feel helpless in the present psychological language it is called learned helplessness that how we are helpless that we of course have faced some problems in life which makes us feel that we are helpless we cannot just uh, get rid of the so called problems of life and at last it ends with a defeatist attitude the all the worldly you will find that all of us who start with optimism at last end with pessimism one of the swamis told me a very nice thing you know what's the difference between a swami's life because most of the swamis when they start their journey in the initial stage because we are also humans uh, we must probably was not having that uh, tremendous renunciation so we go through some identity crisis and it's quite natural we all go through that that whether we have chosen the correct path the questions come doubts come one senior swami very nicely used to relate whenever he is this brahmachari is used very in such a crisis he used to say persevere continue with this life you know what's the wonder of this life as a house householder when you are young you are very happy the world is there to give you everything in bounty as you grow old you find that you are developing more and more the defeatist attitude pessimistic attitude that with all the dreams which you had as if there's a great wall you cannot after some after your journey a little you cannot achieve the things which you were dreaming of it's all closed you become more and more pessimist the one who is on the religious journey spiritual journey at the beginning when he has to fight with his all these obsessions it may seem that his identity is in crisis at the beginning he appears to be a bit depressed but as he progresses in life you will see an old monk a jovial old monk is a very common sight the more he grows old the more he becomes like a small child he enjoys the life some conviction has developed in him which gives him a tremendous joy a spontaneous joy life becomes something meaningful what's the difference why what why it happens the very simple thing as long as we take this sunset place world as the be all and end all of our existence know it for certain at certain point of time we are bound to go through those inescapable inescapable trauma which is bound to bring that sense of learned helplessness at last resulting in a defeatist attitude but those who somehow for those fortunate ones in whose love life somehow the spiritual dimension has opened up suddenly they find that meaning a wonderful meaning coming out of the life the problems no more remain problems they find answer to the all the the so called the deadlock ends in their life what how it happens just that uh, you know that the analogy we have used previously again i will use 
that if we try to find all the answers in the existing plane of dimension, sometimes the answer is not available there unless you relate to some another dimension of existence. To give an example, if you have been asked to draw exactly four triangles by joining four points, you may try. Lifelong you may try. You cannot find answer. It is impossible to draw exactly four triangles by joining four points. Somewhere or other, the two lines will intersect to create the fifth point. And not only that, there will be more than four triangles. It is impossible. But the answer, there is an answer. What's the answer? The teacher, after asking this question in the class, he himself now gave the answer. When the students couldn't give the answer, he spotted three points in the blackboard and asked the student to imagine the fourth point in the space. Now you join the three points in the blackboard, you get one triangle. From each of the points, just draw an imaginary line to the point in the space. You will get a triangular pyramid with exactly four triangular faces, exactly four triangles, a triangular pyramid. So why the students couldn't answer? Because they were trying to search the answer in the two dimensions of the page. They never thought of relating to the another dimension. They never took the space, the height into consideration. In our life, unless and until we take the spiritual dimension of our existence into consideration, life is bound to end up with those defeatist attitude resulting from inescapable trauma. And when you now you may say that how that the spiritual dimension helps us to get the answer. Now in our day-to-day -day life, you will find that what's the trait of a defeatist attitude? What's the trait of a pessimist? And contrast and in, in contrast to that, what are the traits of an optimist? You'll find a pessimist, whenever they are in a problem, they think the problem is permanent. As they have developed the defeatist attitude, they never have that sufficient enthusiasm to deal with each and every problem with new enthusiasm. Somehow they have that learned helplessness. I can do nothing. This life is going to be a permanent problem for me, all these problems as per my relations, as per my work, as per my this, uh, social interactions, everywhere I find the dead logs are coming. There's, there's a no way out. A defeatist attitude comes. And you think these are the permanent. Somehow I have to live my life with this till the death is there. I have to bear with all of them. There's no answer. And that makes me more and more depressed. But the moment that we relate to the demon, this divine dimension. The optimist never takes a problem to be permanent. These are all temporary, passing phase. The moment you relate to the spiritual dimension, whatever may be your religion, whatever may be your belief, immediately, what's the idea that comes? That my existence in this physical plane is not the be all and in all my existence. I was, I am, I will be. If I am the truth, 
the only definition of truth truth is whose existence is not interrupted by any phase of time past present future as the spirit i am eternal as a spirit i am eternal god is eternal and my relationship with the divine is just like the spirit in association with the spirit it's eternal nothing can annihilate that so all the problems of life becomes just a temporary passing phase so the moment i can relate to that spiritual dimension of existence so everything becomes temporary nothing become nothing is permanent not only that a pessimist thinks that all the problems to be all pervasive to give an example that in a school a student most probably is good in all the subjects but weak in one of the subjects say mathematics now he's so much worried about his weakness of maths that his worry now starts affecting all the plus point that he has actually is good in all the subjects his problem though it is local now it becomes all pervasive that's the pessimist an optimist can keep the problem local he he knows that there are so many other aspects which are which with which i am quite okay i am quite good i am quite strong that out of 100 faculties 99 i am strong only one faculty is weak why to just dwell in that let me be just uh dealing with the life with all those 99 positive faculties let me build on strength let me uh overlook the little weaknesses so that speaks of the optimistic attitude the moment we relate to the spiritual dimension of existence what happens again the same thing all the problems of life becomes limited it's local it can never affect the real me and that way it can never depress me i know it's a passing phase it's it is annoying me but it is not going to destroy me the life becomes just as adventurous as the roller coaster ride you know the roller coaster ride is very dangerous when you are ride but we all enjoy it we get thrill why we get the thrill that in spite of those sharp rise and sharp down we know the entire thing has been devised in such a way and all the precautionary measures has been taken in such a way that in spite of all those sharp sharp ups and downs i am not going to get injured or harmed or going to die so though it's very dangerous it thrills me because i know that nothing can annihilate me the moment we relate to that our can relate to the spiritual dimension of our existence the life becomes an expedition just like a roller coaster ride we can enjoy it all the ups and downs because we know nothing can annihilate me i am that eternal existence always i am in association with the divine life is a passing phase god has kept me he's i don't know what the purpose is he's i that he's a much god is much bigger than life with my limited mind with my limited intellect it is almost impossible to decipher that why i am passing through it but yes whatever may be the reason it is just a passing phase i am in eternal association with the divine so the moment that from when you read the gospel 
when you read the spiritual uh, katha, this is all the divine incarnations, life, the teachings. That's the dimension which opens up. And that's the reason that tapta jivanam, that you're scorching in this life. So that you just, you get revived, you're rejuvenated. You find an answer to all the so-called inescapable trauma, which are bound to exist as long as we are limiting our vision. We are just limiting our vision only to this sunset plane of existence. So now you will understand that how nicely it's mentioned. Just by hearing, you have there your sadhana may start later. Just by hearing, suddenly you find a new portal has opened up. You were thinking that you are as if in the brink of annihilation. And then you find nothing can kill you. Nothing can annihilate you. Nothing can affect you in any way. You actually transcend everything as a spirit and nothing can touch you. You are the eternal soul. You in no, no way the dualities of life can affect you. So that's how there's the Kathamrita just revives us, rejuvenates us from this, all this, the, 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 uh, from the scorched, uh, revives from the, revives us, the scorched, the, those who are scorching with all the inescapable traumas in our life. So that's the idea behind Tava Kathamritam Tapta Jeevanam Kavi Bhiriritam. So now you will find all are linked. It becomes the lifeline of the holy person, the one who becomes aware of that spiritual dimension. Now he's bound to be holy. Why? The moment that dimension opens up, you get lured to it. And the more you go towards the east, the west is bound to fall behind. You cannot force the west out. Just you can push the west. The only way you can get rid of the west, go towards the east. As the spiritual dimension, this new portal opens up, the more you go towards that, the West automatically falls behind. So you automatically get rid of Kalmasha. And this awareness becomes your lifeline, without which you can never think of your real existence. So that's why it is Kavi Bhiritam Kalmasha Apaham Sravana Mangalam Sri Madatatam. It brings peace. Just by hearing, it brings auspiciousness. How the auspiciousness comes? Once you are aware of that spiritual dimension of existence by listening to the gospel, you become aware of that. You develop all positive emotions. Your life is no more narrowed by the sunset indulgence. When we are sensually enjoying the world, we are so narrowed, we are extremely selfish. Nothing matters except my own enjoyment. We have a very narrow vision, very myopic vision. The moment the spiritual dimension, you get just aware of it, immediately you start relating to the entire existence as if you are relating with the divine. Your ego starts falling off. You You start developing that positive emotion. Your vision broadens. And you build your life on that broadened vision. So you broaden and build on that. And from that, what comes? That the real love ensues. And when the real love ensues, everything is auspicious now. You become the cause of auspiciousness. 
you become the cause of peace because it is the love which ensues from you in the love in sanskrit is called prema and this prema in the present uh, positive psychology is used as an acronym where p stands for positive emotions when you can relate to that spiritual dimension of existence you are bound to have this positive emotions now you get rid of the worries the tensions you first that the there's all the positive emotions you become carefree with the positive emotions what's the next thing your relationship starts improving if you are careworn if you are tensed if you are worried how can you think of bringing peace to the world your relations get spoiled first because you are tensed it is you who are first inflicted and then only you inflict others with your worries so when your perspective gets broadened the relationships improved p r e e speaks of that relationship is no more a superfluous relationship in the present world when we are uh, moving headlong to the sensuous pleasures of life we do have relationships but those relationships are very superfluous it has no engagement that e stands for engagement unless when you are when you say i love the flower you must be watering the plant if you say i love flower but you never water the plant it's no love it has to be there has to be an engagement there has to be sense of responsibility there has to be sense of care when i that relationship that's is very much engaged and why i am engaged because there's a meaning there's a purpose the divine in me the is the same divine in you as holy mother used to say you know what's the sign of brahmagyana when the when the moment you understand the one who is in you is the same one is in me the same one is in the lowest of the lowly then you will know that you have that purna gyana so now your all this engagement has a meaning you are not just dealing with the relations from the sensuous pleasure you know it is the lord who is playing in varied forms and we are dealing with not the so called the worldly existence we are dealing with the lord who has encapsulated himself in so many forms i am actually dealing with the lord so it's gives a meaning to all my relationship and from that comes the accomplishment then what's the accomplishment you find that your own life have started uh, just evolving in uh, as per the spirituality is concerned and not only that you become the as if the the center point the nodal point for everyone else happiness so what happens that this results the moment you relate to that spiritual dimension through that kathamrita first your own that's the scorching soul that gets revived and then you find that this is the lifeline your all the tarnishes starts gets pure getting purified it gets cleansed off and now you become a source of prema love and that results in what that auspiciousness peace you bring peace to the world and now you will understand why the last plan says that bhuvi grinanti e bhuridajana the one who gives this gift of spiritual knowledge what a wonderful gift it is much greater than just 
feeding a person who is hungry. His hunger will come back. Because just by teaching him some skills that will take care of the physical needs. But what about the, this, our mental uh, needs? We forget that our life is that very just small percentage of our life is in the physical plane. Most of our life is in the mental plane. If I just, just think at the time of lockdown, why we are getting depressed at how the, all the modern science has given you all the amenities that it can give. And they are all there in the house. In the winter, you have wonderful heating system. You have this all the, for entertainment, you have your channels. All the amenities you are having, good food, but that is just so small part of our life. And then we find when we cannot move out that, that I am so pitiable as per my mind is concerned. Then, and that, that's why in the present day, it is still that social engagement is a, is a must for our mental well-being because we cannot relate to that another dimension of existence. And that's why we are not swastha. The word swastha means one who dwells in himself. We can never dwell because we need some hole to hide our face. We are constantly, our, our this worries, tension, fear of death, this uh, ephemeral life are the fears which is constantly chasing us. And like a rabbit, when we are chased by the predator, we just go and dig our, uh, or just hide our face in a hole. And when the rabbit hides its face in the hole, it cannot see the predator and it thinks it is safe. And all our social engagements are like that rabbit hiding our face in the hole. And that's just a patchwork by which somehow we can mental our, maintain our mental health for the time being. It can never give me the final answer that though I may be hiding my face with all the social engagements, all the worries, tensions are there lurking behind. It's if I am not seeing them for the time being, they are seeing me. They're constantly chasing me. There is no way out unless I really think of answering the problems of life by relating to that spiritual dimension. So those who gave me that knowledge, that's the most wonderful gift we can think of. The man's biggest problem is, is the search for meaning. There's a wonderful book, Man's Search for Meaning, written by Viktor E. Frankl. Victor e. Frankl was one of the inmates of the concentration camp of Hitler of the, in the Second World War. He went through horrible experience, everywhere seeing death, torture to the extreme degree, all inhumanities that we, can even, we cannot even imagine. And he came out from that Though he was physically emaciated, almost skin and bones, but somehow he could maintain his wits. You know, those who came out from the concentration camp, so many have died. But those who came out, about 80 to 90% of them lost their wits. They were almost half mad. They couldn't because that inescapable trauma made them almost that deranged. Victory Frankel not only came back after that, he started his, this is his own psychotherapy and he named it logotherapy. It's a wonderful thing that he's told that 
all the cause of our mental psychological problem is if you don't have a meaning a purpose of life that's the logo there's a meaning you know the company has a logo that logo speaks of the purpose the uh, aims the goals that a organization has so each one of us must have a logo and once a person is depressed if you can somehow give him a purpose of living a meaning you will find that he is now getting psychologically revived rejuvenated and that's what this kathamrita does and now you will find what a wonderful mantra it is which we will be repeating every day before the class starts so with this uh, now let us proceed let us just take up a portion of the text as much as possible today we will just start uh, entering into the text of the gospel of sri ramakrishna the very first chapter the master and disciple the date is not mentioned it's somewhere in february 1882 so uh, let us just read the text and gradually we will come to the discussion it's a wonderful book as we have already mentioned it's just reading it is contemplation because as if you will have a feeling that you are in presence of ramakrishna in dakshineshwar the way he will be describing vividly the background in which ramakrishna each and every day is present each and every day is conversing with the devotees that so the background so nicely is describing he will as if he is just guiding you taking you by your hands in the presence of ramakrishna and as if you are in his presence sitting in front of him listening to the words coming out from his lips like the nectar like the kathamrita and that's why this is the mantra which we we have chosen to chant every day before we study the gospel of sri ramakrishna so let us now enter into the text it was on a sunday in spring a few days after sri ramakrishna's birthday that m met him the first time sri ramakrishna lived at the kalibari the temple garden of mother kali on the bank of the ganges at dakshineshwar m being at laser on sundays had gone with his friend sidhu to visit several gardens at baranagar as they were walking in prashanna banerjee's garden sidhu said there is a charming place on the bank of the ganges where a paramahansa lives should you like to go there m assented and they started immediately for the dakshineshwar temple garden they arrived at the main gate at dusk and went straight to sri ramakrishna's room and there they found him seated on a wooden couch facing the east with a smile on his face he was talking of god the room was full of people all seated on the floor drinking in his words in deep silence now the 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 simile which aim is giving is wonderful aim stood there speechless and looked on it was as if he were standing where all the holy places met and as if shukadeva himself were speaking the word of god as you know when parikshit was in prayopavasana he was he knew that only 7 days 
is remaining for his death. His death is just waiting for him. On the seventh day, he's going to die. And he was in a dilemma. He knew, and knew that what to do in these seven days. And as a God's gift, suddenly Shukadeva came. Uh, already the many holy person have already assembled there. Shukadeva, uh, uh, Parikshit have asked the, already the question to them that what can I do just in seven days that can render me the, the spiritual emancipation. So all were in a fix. They never knew what to answer that in seven days. And then the Shukadeva comes and he starts relating with Bhagavatam. So that's the context which uh, M, the Master Mahasaya, is relating to Sri Ramakrishna's uh, Dakshineshwar, that scenario there. He's sitting, the devotees are all sitting around him. And it is as if the Shukadeva is relating the gospel to all the, 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 the souls who are there, who, have, who are there to uh, just uh, absorb, imbibe of what he is speaking. So M stood there speechless and looked on. It was as if he was standing where all the holy places met and as if Shukadeva himself was speaking the word of God or as if Sri Chaitanya was singing the name and glories of the Lord in Puri with Ramananda Swarup and other devotees. Now comes Sri Ramakrishna's words. The very first word speaks of the entire gamut of spirituality. The entire gamut. Let's just enter. The very first words. That's, that's the beauty of the words of Ramakrishna. Each and every, his words are like mantra. Mantra means mananath trayate iti mantra. If you just go on reflecting on it, you will find it can just deliver you. It can uh, uh, emancipate you from all the limited ways of thinking. So what's Ramakrishna said? As the master is hearing for the first time, when hearing the name of Hari or Rama once, you shed tears and your hair stands on end, means you get horripilation. Then you may know for certain that you do not have to perform such devotions as the Sandhya anymore. Then only will you have a right to renounce rituals or rather rituals will drop away of themselves. Then it will be enough if you repeat only the name of Rama or Hari or even simply Om. Continuing, he said, the Sandhya merges, merges in the Gayatri and the Gayatri merges in Om. So these words are very simple, but it's very profound. He's actually speaking of the entire gamut of our spiritual journey. What he's saying that yes, at the beginning, that when we start our spiritual journey, all the paraphernalia is quite okay in the form of rituals. It do help us, how it helps us. That what's the basic uh, idea behind the rituals? There are two basic ideas. One is Atmavat Deva Sevanam. That whatever you like, offer it to the divine. That's the thing. That Sometimes we feel whether, it, whether I should offer this or that. They say, whatever you like that you offer. What happens? Suppose the first fruit which came uh, in a particular season, 
I go to the shop and just buy it instead of just eating it directly first, uh, offer it to the divine and eat it as a consecrated food, as if it has been consecrated. What happens then? That all your this uh, attachments, all your so-called worldly attachments is getting consecrated, sublimated. The same, that food which I like now has become the consecrated food. The thing which I like, that's only I'm taking. But now the thought of Lord has entered into my desire. My desire is still there. It has not fallen off. But that in that holding on to that desire, the Lord has entered there. As when you are taking it, you're taking the thing which you cherish most, but at the same time, it has done a wonderful thing. You're thinking of the Lord. I still remember as a brahmachari, one of the brahmachari related me a wonderful story that he was asked to do the regular ritualistic worship. And now he found that in the ritualistic worship, so many things are used. He read that the life of Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna was a renunciate of the highest degree. But while doing his puja, we use some, uh, what you say, this scent, some essence as gandha, this as flowers, scent. So these are the things which this brahmachari found to be distracting. He came and related that while doing puja, when I use the scent, it thinks me of, it makes me think of my past. How? That when I was in at how at my home during my sister's wedding ceremony, it was a social gathering. Everyone used that perfume, and this smell of this perfume makes me think of that social gathering. It's a distraction. Ramakrishna is the what you say is a renunciate. Why should we use all this thing? The senior monk told, "See, these are the practices we do. I am not going to explain you all those things." We have not uh, asked you, that not invited you to come and become a monk. It is you who have chosen. And this is the way uh, we follow. If you find it's quite compatible for you, you stay. Otherwise, you can leave. It was quite harsh reply. But this brahmachari, though he couldn't get the proper answer, he himself found the answer. What the answer was? Few months passed. As he was almost forced to use all those perfumes he was using. Now, a few months passed, he himself went for shopping for, uh, for purchasing some puja items. He went to the market for shopping and he was passing through the busy streets of the market. There was a perfume shop and the smell was coming naturally. When the perfume shop passed by the perfume shop, it has a wonderful that fragrance of uh, the scent of all the perfumes comes. And now he's saying that in that noisy market, that busy place, in that humdrum, suddenly that smell of the perfume made my mind calm. Because now it has got associated with my regular worship. So this is one of the beautiful characteristics of ritual. In ritual, what I'm doing, I'm worshiping with all the things which I do, as if I am bathing the God, and in Durga Puja, they use so many items for that Mahasnana, which actually speaks of all the items which we use in our day-to-day -day life. So after the Puja, all those gets associated with the divine. Whatever you see, even the food which you are going to cook, that rice, everything gets uh, permeated 
associated with the divine. And that's how you very spontaneously, naturally, with all the things you see in the life, the thought of the divine gets linked. In Durga Puja, it's very interesting. They even use the soil of the place of ill repute, of the, where the prostitutes stay. There, they will take the soil of that as one of the ingredients for the Devi's bathing. The idea is same, that when I am dealing with the day-to-day -day life, I cannot close my eyes and ears. I have to pass through the street. Maybe I am passing through the place of ill repute and immediately my mind is bound to get polluted. I cannot avoid it. See, a wonderful thing by the rituals has happened. Now, instead of our mind getting polluted, immediately the thought will come. This is the soil which is used for mother's worship. And you immediately, if you are really a sincere, ardent, ritualistic devotee, your mind now gets associated with the divine. Even in that situation, you find it's the holiness and holiness alone, which is dawning in your mind. So that's how you constantly get refined. All in all your perceptions, in all your thoughts, the background, the divine thought is always there. That's how in one way the ritual serves. It's Atmabhat Deva Sevaram. And another thing is Devang Bhutva Devang Vyajat. In the ritualistic worship, before you start worshipping, first is your own inner cleansing. That you have to visualize that your this physical body has burnt off. In place, a spiritual body has came. And that spiritual body, which is pure spirit, that is the one which is worshipping the spirit. It is a worship of the spirit by the spirit, as has been spoken in the Bible. The same idea is here. Atmavat, Deva Sevanam is the first. Second is Devam Bhutva. You yourself have to become the spirit. Devam Yajet, for worshipping the spirit. And that way, you are more and more getting attuned to the spiritual dimension of your existence. You are getting identified with that. And the, when this thing happens, what happens now naturally, as you proceed with your ritualistic, elaborate ritualistic uh, spiritual journey with the rituals, a time will come where your mind has totally changed. Your thoughts are now constantly tuned to the divine. Now these rituals, even if it fall off, there is no harm because your mind has now already got attuned to the divine. And once it gets attuned to the divine, a wonderful thing happens now. You, have, you start developing the love for the thought. Emotion develops. How it happens in this life, as we have told so many times, that out of necessity, when you do a thing again and again, at last, a path is created to our, in our mind. It's called the neuroplasticity. When we traverse the path again and again, a path is as if created in our mind. Now we forget the necessity. Just doing it becomes our obsession. We like it. Our emotions get involved with it. Everything, all the things which we find is cause of our bondage is actually necessity. In the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, again and again you will find, Sri Ramakrishna is saying, Kamini Kanchan Maya, that lust and gold is Maya, is the cause of all our bondage. But just think, can we live without this too? There cannot be, the nature cannot propagate without lust. We cannot sustain without wealth. Their necessity. But because of our pursuit for this lust and wealth, for lives together, ages after ages, it has become as if a 
deeply grooved road in our mind and we have got obsessed by them and what has happened every day you open the newspaper any crime at last boils down to either this lust or gold nothing else what has happened the necessity has become an obsession all your emotions has got involved in it it was actually a necessity so here i am what i am doing this divine love for the divine is just like a thorn has pierced you while passing through a forest there is a thorny bush a thorn has pierced that you have stamped over the bush a thorn has pierced you so now to get rid of the thorn what do you do you pluck out another thorn from the same thorn bush and with that you prick out the thorn which has pierced you isn't it and once i have done i throw away both the thorns they are no more needed this devotion is the second thorn which will be helping me to get rid of all other thorns you may say why in my present life if i have developed love for something and then i again develop love for something else they coexist here also with devotion all other things are supposed to coexist you may say but it never happens once you develop love for this sublime spiritual truth all other love all other inordinate attachment starts falling off because these two attachments are qualitatively different what's the qualitative difference all the inordinate attachments which i have developed in the process of my biological evolution this all this uh, it's all the our obsessions at last can be boiled down to three three obsessions what are there putraishana there your desire for progeny vittaishana desire for wealth and yashaishana or lokaishana desire for name and fame is it three all these ashanas these three ashanas what it for fulfillment of these three desires you have to depend on something external wealth is something external putraishana of course you have to depend on something external yashaishana you have to depend on something external you have to develop accrue wealth uh, get some position in life it's all something which you have to achieve which is not with you have to achieve as a result what happens there are two things till i haven't achieved them there is tension i may not get it as a student i was studying with all the uh, ambitions i may not that i most probably i had some ambition to enter into some professional course the fear was there i may not get through it once you are there there again there another fear comes what that i may lose it all the relations our wealth once i get it i may lose it so all our ashanas are linked with fear worries tensions for the first time you have developed a love which no one can take away from you you sit down you just meditate all the worries you forget you just start enjoying the contemplation in which you are in communing communing as if with the divine no one nothing can take you away from you and that's the result what i mean this is the this is an attachment which is in no way linked with the worries and tensions either when if for while achieving it i know no uh, that 
I am bound to achieve it if I pursue it with my purity, patience, perseverance. And this, the more and more the mind's groove is formed, the love emotions is bound to develop today or tomorrow. And once it develops, it will increase. There is no cost question of losing it. Because the more I practice, the more the deepen, the more deeper will be the groove in my mind, the more intense will be my love and all the emotions related to it, the bhavas related to it. So you have created a love for something sublime, which is so qualitatively different from the others, the others are bound to fall off. You may know, you know why? But this thing which you have developed, it is something like constructing a freeway. Previously, all my desires as it depended on something external, I was always in the crossroads. My desire was clashing with the others. I was in, always in the crossroads. There was turmoil, there was tension. Here I have created a desire which in no way is in crossroads with others. As if I have created a freeway, there is no junction. Once there is a freeway, should I ever go back again to that uh, the road where there are all crisscross, all the traffics? I will avoid. So once you have created this freeway in your mind through your devotion, all the road starts falling off. You never you develop a natural tendency to avoid them. Now to go to this freeway and those roads starts falling off. And you, the more you traverse, the more the road gets deepened, the groove is more uh, deepened, the more is your love. And the more the love is there, the more your mind gets focused. The more the mind gets focused, but interesting thing happens. All the rituals, the name, the lila, all those things appears to be uh, too superfluous because my mind gets so focused that my mind now needs a very much narrower and narrower bandwidth to remain intensely focused. So all those paraphernalia starts falling off. At the beginning, they were quite helpful. All took keep my mind away from the worldly desires, the rituals, the um, contemplation on the Leela of the divine, of the divine place of their life. They were quite extensive, you know, that we had to study a lot. So many things were involved. They were quite okay. But as my mind gets now intensely absorbed in the name of the divine, the name has become in the name, all the ideas has got encoded. I now need not have to think of them separately. They have got, so the more the mind now, the bandwidth as if reduces, it wants to be focused in that name alone. The other thing starts falling off. That's why very nicely it has been Ramakrishna is saying that the more your mind gets absorbed, what happens? The Sandhya merges in the Gayatri. Sandhya is the rituals. When a Brahmin gets initiated in the Gayatri mantra, he has to do some rituals. Along with that, he has to chant the Gayatri. And that Gayatri starts with Omkara. So Ramakrishna, how nicely is saying that Sandhya merges in the Gayatri. The more you get absorbed, the rituals falls off. Your Gayatri chanting becomes spontaneous. Still, when your mind gets more focused, the Gayatri mantra is quite big. It has uh, eight, three lines each of eight syllables. 
So it's a quite big, this mantra. It falls off only the Omkara with which it starts. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, wonderful thing. You will find what in Hinduism, whatever faith you may belong, whatever may be your Ishta, when you are initiated, the Ishta mantra is always associated with the Pranava, Om. The idea is that at last, when your mind gets intensely absorbed, it becomes difficult to even keep the mind in the entire name. At last, it has to hold on to something. For that, that Omkara is there, that Anahata Dhvani, that unadulterated sound, in that holding just onto that, the mind can go deep into contemplation. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That's the elaborate rituals at last merges in Gayatri, the Gayatri merges in Om. This ultimately can take you to the ultimate, the spiritual absorption of Samadhi. So just see that in this few words, Sri Ramakrishna is actually taking you from the very beginning to the ultimate uh, point of your spiritual journey in these few words. So just see what this, how these mantras may appear to be simple, but so profound. So let us read it again. And with this, we will stop our discussion today. We'll continue again in the next class. Sri Ramakrishna said, when hearing the name of Hari or Rama once, you shed tears and your hair stands on end. Then you may know for certain that you do not have to perform such devotions as the Sandhya anymore. Then only will you have a right to renounce rituals or rather rituals will drop away of themselves. Just the way when you have a scab over your wound, if you try to pull it out, it will lacerate. Renunciation cannot be forcefully done. It has to heal and fall off automatically. That's what he's saying by your devotion. All the scabs of worldliness at last falls off automatically. The Sandhya merges in the Gayatri, the Gayatri merges in the Omkara. That, or what he's saying, when he's, the rituals will drop away of themselves. Then it will be enough if you repeat only the name of Rama or Hari or even simply Om. Continuing, he said, the Sandhya merges in the Gayatri, and the Gayatri merges in Om. So with this, we stop our discussion. We'll continue uh, with the gospel in the succeeding classes. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Hari Om, that's it. Sri Ramakrishna Arpanamastha.